Welcome to It Didn't Break Me, a podcast where we have honest and vulnerable conversations around the messy stuff we didn't think we'd come back from, inspiring you to give yourself permission to discover the beauty within the mess and to let go the illusion of perfection. I'm your host, Bianca Keisha Hughes. Hello and welcome to the It Didn't Break Me podcast. I am your host, Bianca Keisha Hughes, and it is a pleasure, as always, to have you tuning in and listening to the podcast. So this is season three and this is episode four. And as always, I have an amazing guest. But before we get to my guest, I want to share something with you. I always like to share gems and things I'm learning because um, one of my values is I'm committed to growth. So, and I love to share, I love to educate and help others. Um, I don't believe in holding back information. So one of the things I've been saying to myself is I have more money than I think. And I think it's so important to say that because often when we look at maybe what is in front of our face for me in terms of my bank account or what I think is there, sometimes I can be so focused on what I don't have, I miss what I do have. So you can take that same thing, that same words and add it to whatever you feel like you're lacking. So maybe it might be, I have more friends than I think. I have more wisdom than I think. I have more people who care about me than I think. And the reason I say that is our minds are so powerful. And when we go back to this concept of people talking about things they thought would break them, a lot of the decisions they make or might not make because they think it's going to break them is probably because of coming from a fear-based or a lack-based or the inability to do those things, right? So kind of that lack. And so I think that's really helpful just for you to know. And I just want to encourage you in thinking about it that way. So my guest today, we are having an interesting conversation about the impact of anxiety and not just regular anxiety, but also performance anxiety and how that just really impacts our sense of worth, how we view ourselves, and then also along with how we compare ourselves from others. And when we put such a high expectation on ourselves or you know, we feel like people have a high expectation, how that also gets in the way of us asking for help. And I can totally relate to that. My guest today is Marley Frey Gang. She is an actress and podcaster. Her favorite foods include protein cookies, waffles, and sushi. She was born and raised in New Mexico and currently resides in Los Angeles. Marley envisions herself playing the comic relief in a drama TV series. You can listen to her on the podcast, Confessions of a Wannabe It Girl. Her podcast explores the reality of what it takes to make it. As it turns out, it is way less Instagrammable than you would expect. We want to help achieve those dreams with more confidence, direction, and clarity. So let's go ahead and get into the conversation. Hello, Molly, and welcome to the It Didn't Break Me podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I am so curious about your story. 
as I mentioned, I haven't dug too deep into it because I, I like to be surprised just like the listener. So let's just dive into it. What is something you thought would break you, but it didn't? It's an interesting question because at the time I didn't know that it had a word and that it was really a thing. But now so much later, looking in retrospect, um, you know, what didn't break me was really the generalized anxiety disorder I was dealing with for a very, very long time. Un- undiagnosed, didn't have the words for it, didn't know what it was wasn't aware that life could honestly be any different than what I was living because I just didn't have the wherewithal to know that that was not something normal to be experiencing every single day. <laughs> so, wow. it, you know, and it, it goes back a really long time in my life. You know, I, I'm only a wise 27 now, but this started you know, probably about when I was in middle school and growing up, I I did have a lot of a traumatic youth in the fact that there was a lot of medical trauma going on in my Mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was aware of it, but didn't really understand what was happening. And my parents being amazing parents that they are, couldn't be better parents you know, really try to, to protect me from that. But at your senses as a child, you know, something's off. And, you know, so then it was kind of this weird denial of something is wrong, but I'm being told everything is fine on some level. And that started my way of thinking that way. And as I got into middle school and high school, I experienced a very toxic friendship at 13. And all the way till I was 22. And I take a lot of responsibility in that situation too. I really enabled her to be this way. Mm -hmm. And on top of dealing with the anxiety, thinking I was becoming so a part of, dealing with this friendship, dealing with this lack of denying myself and my feelings, what was happening, I started to experience panic attacks. And I didn't know what was happening. I only thought, oh, like I'm dying. I can't breathe. You know, oh, I heard a story about a kid at summer camp who had asthma. I must have asthma. Like, that's why I feel like I can't breathe. And it took a lot for me to realize the first dramatic panic attack episode. You know, I went downstairs. I woke up my parents. I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what's happening. I feel like I'm, I'm dying. Like, you know, we had a friend who was an ER doctor. They called him and he's like, it sounds like she's having a panic attack. And I was like, what? No, like I'm dying. I need to go to the hospital. Eventually, somehow I calmed down. I went to school the next day. I was so weirded out by what it was because also- How old were you? I was 13. How old are you in seventh grade? 13? That sounds about right. Yeah. It was just really weird. I had no words for it. And then somebody, I have to really say that was- so supportive through it and I didn't realize it was support at the time and looking back I had some really amazing teachers in my life Mm -hmm. and I would panic when I got bad grades and I had teachers you know try to tell me that this was not the end of the world and I could not see it but they would really really try so it's slowly slowly building and then at the same time I was a competitive dancer I decided Mm -hmm. to pursue dance as my degree. 
I also have a minor in theater, so all performance, which can cause a lot of anxiety too. And then when I got into college, I was at the point of such bad performance anxiety. It was miserable. Like I was the most miserable person in probably the dance degree. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't memorize anything because of the stress I was going under. Like I could not retain choreography. Mm-hmm. The negative self-talk of mm-hmm. just constantly, I'm not going to be good. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to get it. Like I'd show up already starting in such a different place than I felt the other people. And I was just completely suffering in silence. I was not able to communicate to people what I was going through. And I thought on some level, it was very painfully obvious. I thought everyone around me could see that I was going through this, but it was not so obvious, I don't think. I actually have a question about that. You said some of the words. I I want to, I'm curious a bit more about that with the anxiety, with the um, panic attacks, with the performance anxiety. What were some of the thoughts and the feelings? I know you heard, I, I, I can't memorize, I'm not enough. What are some of the other feelings or even some of the behaviors? Oh God. That you had as a result of this. I always tell people I'm great at masking, which isn't, I'm not actually I don't think that's a good thing to say I'm great at masking. Like, it's not a good thing, but I know I can do it. And people was like, oh, I I had no idea you were going through that. I'm like, yeah, if you only knew. So tell us a bit more. Yeah, so it would start with my hands would go numb. Like, Mm -hmm. I could not, like... And I remember this was happening to me when I was in high school. I I mean, I'm still a big thespian, if you will. I'm pursuing an acting career now and whatnot. But I was, at that time, in in the ripe old age of eighth grade, I was going to be on Broadway. (laughs) And I remember going to these singing, kind of, they were like showcases. They weren't really Mm -hmm. recitals. We had them like every three months and we'd just sing for our parents. And I would get up there and I would not be able to feel my hands. I was like, my hands are completely numb. And I would reach out to put them on the piano and I just could not feel anything. And I probably looked very uncomfortable, like, you know, straight spine, whatnot. But, you know, they're probably like, oh, it's a kid. She's nervous, whatnot. But then when I got into college and I was dancing, it would look like something like I would hide in the back of the room I would try to stand behind a really good dancer. So like, I just kind of wouldn't be spotted and it wouldn't be seen. And I would literally just glaze out. Like I, it was like my body was in one place and my brain was in a different place. And then my soul being heart, whatever was somewhere else. Like I was just completely having, I I don't want to say out of body experiences, but we were just all not connected. We were all- You were disconnected from your body. Right. I was in very different places and it was just freeze. And like the the flight in me would be probably at an all-time high. Like my adrenaline was running so extreme, so petrified, terrified, frozen. But like here I am up in front of things and people- And just having to be like, I have to get through this. I have to get through this. So I'm going to get up here and just pretend um, that I know what I'm doing, but nothing's connected. Yeah. And I would just always 
feel my negative. They were very automatic negative thoughts at this time. Mm -hmm. Everyone else thinks I suck. So I suck. You know, um, I'm not I'm I'm not good enough to be here. It I was never even focused on what the choreography I wasn't like, OK, now it's elbow, wrist, knee, whatever, like and not even anything to help me. I would just all be in my head mostly about what I thought other people were thinking about me. And yeah, great times. (laughs) So you said something. Thank you for sharing that. That's really good uh, because I think so many people are like, well, what are the symptoms, right? And like you said, you didn't know that you were dealing with this. So I think that would really help someone else to kind of see the signs. So... I heard you say, I had to pretend. Do you know why you felt like you had to pretend and you couldn't just say, this is what I'm experiencing? I think there's a couple of things. I think, first of all, I felt like I had to pretend because I was asking myself to be put in this situation. Nobody forced me to be a dance major. Nobody, you know, was like, you have to do this. But I felt I'd spent a lot of my parents' money being in dance class. I had already spent a few years or, you know, started at dance major level. There was a little bit of pressure of like the idea of like, well, I can't quit now. So there was a little bit of that. And then I also think there was a little bit of like, internally like I really really wanted this like I really wanted to be there it was something I really thought I loved and I wanted and I wasn't ready to like give up on the idea because I think I knew some part of me could do it but that wasn't showing up so then it became this constant like I'm putting myself on trial to maybe maybe today will be the day that I get it and then I was just horribly disappointed again and again Mm. um and the idea of pretending you know on one level I highly believe in fake it till you make it like I I do believe in this whole idea of like you know act as if and it will come but at the same time I I just didn't want anyone to know that I really thought that low of myself or that I was that scared of being bad or whatnot you know I never wanted to be seen as a failure um I guess this is another part of what might have led me into this I'm also really dyslexic I in fourth grade uh I had an an amazing teacher realized that like I was faking reading um because I would hear someone tell the story and then I would say I'm gonna read that book too and I would retell it in my own words and obviously they weren't on the words on the page but I was smart enough to like fake my way through it. So then there always became this mindset that I'm behind, that I'm I'm not um, not where the other kids are at. And I, I really, that became a self-fulfilling prophecy for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there was this idea of like, I want to, I want to pretend to be this person who's all together all the time. Wow. If you didn't do that, if you didn't pretend or people knew or someone figured out that you're behind what do you think would happen what was like your biggest fear I just didn't want to be labeled as the kid that was behind as the kid that wasn't good I think that was my fear was that that was maybe I wasn't cool enough to Mm. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be cool I wouldn't be I wouldn't be in and that's a big part of why I actually started my podcast is that fear of being in but yeah I was just so scared to not 
not be who I wanted to be in the world or be seen that way by others. Mm. And I'm just amazed that it's like almost this thing to not be that. Mm-hmm. Not or not be seen as that way, not be labeled as that way, also in a way created all this sense of anxiety within you and all the panic attacks. Would you would you not say or oh no, I yes, I like I completely created the pressure. It's you know, it's so interesting. Like I had a, I have amazing parents and I would bawl my eyes out over, you know, uh, a C plus or a B minus or a B. And they never were like, you have to get amazing grades, Marley. They're mm-hmm. like, you need to go and do your best. My dad hadn't been amazing at school. My mom was somewhat good at school naturally, but they never put that pressure on me. But I just became so determined to be it and have it all completely look perfect, completely figured mm-hmm. out, be the top. You know, I had such high expectations of myself that when I w- wasn't living up to that, that was unacceptable for myself. And I caused that spiral. Wow. Do you think it was just you, though? Because I I often say, you know, with the work I do with perfectionism, um, which is a lot of that pressure and expectations and not feeling like you're enough, that for me, it comes from different sources. Okay, it could be from the parents. It could be from um, school. It could be from tv or images that we saw or mm. the expectations of society especially as a woman too so do you just think it was a hundred percent you or do you think there was any other outside influences no I mean I think I played a large role in getting myself so deep into it but no mm-hmm. I don't I you know tv was hugely impactful for me it still is I love tv but you know I really listened to media at the time and I still did and you know there was a character and I love this show to this day it was Gossip Girl and Mm -hmm. there's a character and I'd also kind of read the books and Blair Waldorf you know kind of like the queen bee of the school wants to go to Yale and so Mm -hmm. I wanted to go to Yale that started Mm -hmm. when I was in seventh grade and that was kind of where the pressure of the grades came to be and I also think I was trying really hard not to be my best friend at the time. I didn't want, there had to be, and she was smart, but she wasn't like academic. So that became the thing I was going to be. I was academic. And also, you know, media highlights so much the it girl, the that girl, the sparkly girl. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always felt, particularly in high school and even some, I would say my first two years of college and even sometimes now that like I'm the girl next to the it girl. I'm not the it girl. Mm. I felt that way for a really long time. So then there became this pressure of how can I change that to become mm-hmm. the sparkly thing? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, maybe that also definitely contributed a little bit into yeah. the pressure and anxiety. The pressure, which I'm hearing is a lot of the pressure of the images. And then the big thing, I know you kind of have mentioned this as well, is the comparison. Mm-hmm. And the comparison, I mean, you said something like, I feel like I'm the person next to the it girl. Like when I look at them, I still don't feel like I'm there or I'm enough or I've got there just yet. Can you tell us a bit about your experience of comparison and anxiety for you? 
oh my gosh, what can I not say about comparison? <laughs> um, you know, even now I've still chosen to be in an industry where you are mm-hmm. compared next to other girls who look just like you, who are just as talented, have done X, Y, Z, but you've done X, Y, Z, you know, so comparison is a huge part of my life on some level. And, you know, it's only gotten worse with social media too, because now you can literally see someone's life and mm-hmm. compare it. You know, I also think it's so interesting. There is a difference in comparing your life uh, to somebody who puts their life online when you're not putting your life online at all. And then when you start putting your life online and it doesn't do as well as that person, there's another level of comparison. And yeah, that's not that bad. It's, you know, it's very interesting. I also think that's kind of why people get a little addicted to social media once they like try to become an influencer mm-hmm. or content creator. But yeah, there's just constantly this idea of I'm I'm pinned against someone else. And you know, it's not the most lovely place to live all the time. And I think the thing is, I've had to learn that you you want other people like you to succeed because that means there's a path for you in that area too. And that's not always the easiest thing for me, um, you know, but it sounds so cheesy or basic, but being happy for when someone just like you succeeds um and it's hard but yeah there's a lot of I call it compare and despair um Mm. in my wheelhouse and I've had to learn it's not perfect I fall off all the time but to kind of be like a horse and just be like no what's in my spectrum what's in my control and what's not you can't control how well they're gonna do and whatnot and also like I don't want to carry that that weight on my back of wanting someone to do poorly so I can do mm-hmm. well. That's not going to get me anywhere. Uh, however, mm-hmm. you know, in the industry, I think that can happen a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Especially in, in, in that industry where you're representing uh, people's hopes and dreams and giving them hope and they want that to be perfect. So I love that what you said about the horse and having your blinders on and and doing the best that you can as well as being honest that you don't always do it or you you don't know what sometimes you do get caught up and I think that's that human part of us so I appreciate you for sharing that so take us to what began to shift how did you discover because you didn't even discover or know you had generalized anxiety mm-hmm. so kind of take us through that journey of how you discovered that and then when things began to shift for you I mean I have to give a lot of credit to my partner my boyfriend um we're still very much together to this day he he had been in therapy for a long time in his life and when we started dating he was you know and I would emotionally um kind of trauma dump on people Mm -hmm. and I, I didn't know I was doing it and you know he really pushed me to get into therapy and he was just like this is not okay you cannot continue to live this way this way of living is not going to get you anywhere. Like you need to make a change. And I got into therapy. And then the other thing that started to change for me is at the time I was graduating college mm-hmm. and I wanted to audition for 
the professional football team cheerleading team, which is really actually a dance team, just so people are clear. It's not <laughs> no stunts. And I was going to these workshops for it, and I could not retain the choreography. So I thought my memory was just mm. so bad. I was like, maybe I have ADHD, which was totally not true because in the dyslexia test, they also test for ADHD and ADD. And I would never had that issue. It never came up. And I'd been doing that test for a long time to keep my like extended resources mm-hmm. in school. And it'd never come up. But you know, I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to see a psychologist and maybe they can give me something for my memory. And I went to go see this psychologist thinking I'm going to come out of this with something I can take that will help me with my memory <laughs> and it, it will be great, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, at the end of the session, he just went, you know, I think you have a generalized an anxiety disorder. And I was like, excuse you? Like, what do you mean I have a generalized anxiety disorder? Back up. That's so rude. Like, why would you say that? I was so defensive. I was like, I don't mm-hmm. have generalized anxiety. Who are you to say that? And, you know, all the ideas about the horrible mm-hmm. experiences someone else has had a psychology comes through your head. I get in my car. I call my parents. I tell them what's happening. And they were like, well, like, do you? And I was like, no, no, I don't. I absolutely do not. And, you know, I was like, they're recommending that I take medication. And my parents were kind of like, I don't think you should do that. And I was like, okay. And I sat with that for a month. And I was like, my parents don't think I should do this. But I was like, you know what? I'm an adult and I'm not pro medication for everyone. It's a personal decision. But I decided to go on the medication. At the same time, I was finally ending that relationship with a toxic best friend. I was Mm -hmm. graduating college. It was a huge transitional time. I moved in with one of my best friends that I made in college and bless her. She was so patient with me as a friend because I Mm -hmm. had really, really messed up ideas of what friendship looked like after what I'd been through. And, you know, we were really there for each other and she went through hard stuff. I went through hard stuff um, and she's still one of my best friends today. And, you know, I made that decision for myself to prioritize that this way of living is not sustainable and I want to be an actor and I want this for my life and I want to change. I want to grow. So, you know, I decided to take the medication and it was, yes, I was doing something physically external. I could put my hands on it. I'm taking medication, but it was a huge, just, I want to say spiritual thing for myself. I also was like, I'm choosing to do this for me, to change my life, to work on my outcome. And it was really like important. It was one of the first times I really made a decision for myself. I didn't feel influenced into it. I didn't feel like someone else was doing this. So I should do it. And it was a really big deal that I made that choice for myself, mm-hmm. you know, so that that is definitely how it started to change. I can tell and sense the power, even as you're kind of welling up as you, you talk about that. And it sounds like in that you found your voice, mm-hmm. you took your power back from the toxic relationship from the comparison from all of these things that you were trying to be and you're like no I'm doing this for me and it's like you connected to you and was like no this is a choice for me not based on what anyone else is saying or anything else I've seen and it just seems so empowering and so powerful 
Is that right? It really was. I mean, it still really is. Like, I don't think I'll ever, that's why it, you know, it's so interesting. It's such an external action, but it meant so much internally, Mm -hmm. even to myself now is that I, I did it. I did it for me. And, you know, I can do something like that again for myself. I don't need the, the voice of, you know, the, the coffee shop telling me what to do, I should do or shouldn't do or whatnot. Like I'm completely capable of making choices, changing my life and doing what's best for me. Mm. Okay. So how did things start to change and what did it start to look like oh. in this process? You know, of course, there's other bumps along the road. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. just out of college and, you know, a little lost, but I really just started doing things I wanted to do. And that's become even I'm still on that journey. Like mm-hmm. I'm I'm still learning to say not saying yes to everything and, you know, saying no to say yes to yourself. And I started at this amazing acting school and I walked in there being like, I have no no baggage right now. I'm not bringing in my past baggage. I stopped carrying baggage into everything I did. Sure, sometimes it comes up, but I'm not carrying blah, blah, blah's backpack and da-da-da's tote bag and that past experience with me. And I really got to be a young 20-something doing whatever I wanted. And, you know, I'm I'm so blessed. That was a very privileged thing I got to do. You know, my parents supported me through a lot of it. And I just really started to experience my dream life on some level. And, you know, now looking back on that phase in my life that I'm still maybe on the tail end of, but that chapter is coming to an end. My gratitude has gone up so high because I've started to notice little things like I'm just like the trees are so green like Mm -hmm. the sky is so blue cars run run around town like amazing like you know it's just I've started to notice the little things but the biggest thing for me is really I just got to step into the thing I wanted to do which is pursue an acting career Mm -hmm. and be in Los Angeles the life I had dreamed of so much growing up in Cedar Crest New Mexico (laughs) and I I got to do it and I didn't have to take care of this friend, take care of this feeling all the time. It really did feel like I was taking off a backpack with a brick in it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I sense the freedom, like the freedom is is the big word that I can hear in you and the kind of like that, that energy of, oh, this is freeing. I chose me and I feel free. How would you describe where you are today? Well, today I'm fighting a little bit of a cold, but (laughs) in that kind of maybe sub note of that chapter is, you know, I've had to deal a lot with like burnout and pushing myself still in like a very competitive field. Mm -hmm. A million people want to be actors. And now I am in a place of realizing that burnout isn't the be all end all. I might have overdone it this past month, not going to lie. but what I've really like realized right now is that the gratitude, the looking at every part of your life, not just a single part of your life, my anxiety ran my life. And so that was in every, it was in my personal relationships. It was in my career. It was in my job. It was in, it was, it was seeping out my pores. 
And now I can look at like different things in my life and be like, this is friend time. I don't need this or anxiety. This is work time. I don't need to be constantly in communications with my friends. This is me and my family and my boyfriend's time. I can just take those chunk by chunk. So that is something that I feel like I'm in now is just trying to be present on who I'm with or what I'm with and what I'm doing at the time instead of letting it just run one big circle. I used to describe it as um, on an iPhone. You know how you can open way too many Safari browsers and they like don't close out? Kind of a weird function, actually. They should have made it whenever you close it, the browser ends. But that's how it felt like my life was. I just had a million browsers mm. open all the time. And I would let each browser affect a different search engine. And I've learned to close them. And it's like, now maybe I only have two or three, not 20 going at the same time. Oh, I love that analogy. That's really good. Thank you so much. I did talk about that one in therapy for sure. That was how how I would try to describe it to people what I was going through is that I felt like a million tabs were open. It's like, okay, this one says I'm not good enough. This one's telling me I'm not flexible. This one, this one's reminding me that I haven't gone to the grocery store. Like that's how it felt all the time. And now they're a lot more quiet. <laughs> oh, I love that. Close the browsers. Close the browser. You created this podcast, the It Girl mm-hmm. podcast, and or well, Conversations with an It Girl. Sorry. Uh, confessions with a woman. Confessions of it. Yeah. Want to be It Girl. And was it birthed out of this experience? Very much so. I had a really different idea. Going into college, I also had a an idea that I was like, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. I don't know where that one came from, but I mean, I love comedy, but, and so originally I really wanted to do a, a comedy concept, mm-hmm. but then around my junior, when this was all kind of starting to build its peak mm-hmm. point, I really realized that I, I felt like I was next to the it girl all the time. And yeah, I was so ambitious and I really felt like so much in life was gate kept that people weren't sharing experiences like they get to do on your show and showing that there's so much layers to what's going on and what we even, you know, when you meet a person, you don't see their whole story. And now when mm-hmm. we see people online, you definitely don't see their whole story, no mm-hmm. matter what, even if they are making authentic content, I put that in air quotes, it is still a produced media. You chose how to edit that, how to put it together, even if it is authentic if it's of you crying or you not looking your cutest it's still produced media and I through all of this just I was suffering in silence and so I felt like I wish somebody had told me about these gate kept things or these true experiences they were really going through and that is kind of where the podcast was born out of it was I want someone else to realize that they think the same as I do, or they might be going through something as I do. And I use this really like she, she example often, you know, the girl who is a model, amazing. You're a working paid model. You're literally must be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Even for her, I've seen girls like that living in LA and all they want to do is be the high fashion model or the top paying model. You know, this idea that you're never enough, that you have to keep climbing. And on some level, we love the ambition. We we admit we love it. But at the yeah. same time, let's talk about how unhealthy that can be. And like just settling and being like, I am my own it girl. I don't need to be told I'm an it girl by society. I don't need to be told by 
you know, this job that I'm, I've made it, you know, it's all internal. And it, that's really where true confidence comes from anyways, I think. Yeah, I love that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, that's so similar to this podcast. It's like, let's just talk about, like you mentioned, let's talk about all the stuff that people don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we love that. It's really like, yeah. You said something that I just want to ask you real quick. Um, you said being an it girl is when you're in the the zone and you're pushing yourself beyond your boundaries. Yes, I love that. <laughs> I think, Tell me about that. yeah, I think it's so interesting because it's you in your zone. There's nobody else to compare in the zone. And I think we've all felt that time where you are pushing yourself to be the best you can be or, mm-hmm. you know, the most in your career. And it's really when you kind of zone out, you listen to no one else and you kind of make choices for yourself. And that to me is it girl energy. It's just you in the zone chasing after your it, your thing in the moment. And we, we love to push with, with self-care, with self-care and respect. We don't, I, you know, I love very um, ambitious pushing content. But at the same time, there is an aspect of that that is unhealthy and can be very triggering. And I've been triggered by it before too. But when you're pushing yourself and it's only you and there's no other voices telling Mm. you, you you need to make X amount of money by X, Y, Z. You need to be X, Y, Z in your career by this time. When it's really just down to you and your wants, that zone, I think, is so powerful. And you can see when people are in it and it it does make them, for lack of a better word, a little sparkly because they're they're chasing after their purpose, their own, their own it. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love that. So is there anything you want the listener to know that you want to leave them with? Yes. The mental health conversation has really changed, which is mm-hmm. great. But even though it's changed, you might still not think, oh, this, this is, um, I have something like I didn't, I didn't realize like, oh, I was struggling with this. And so the message I really want to leave a listener with is if you are not happy with the way something is in your life, you can change it. It might take steps. It definitely takes advice, might take a therapist, might take a psychologist. And it's okay to not know where to start. And it's okay not to know what it is. And it's okay to figure out what it is because once you do and you start to change your journey and your your inner thoughts and whatnot, like you don't have to carry it all the time. So like I really urge people to take the time to discover what it actually is you are struggling with. Wow. Thank you, Molly. That is really encouraging and powerful. It's very much the tone of permission to not know it all. I love that. So my other favorite question is, what is something that is messy in your life right now? There's a lot of things that are messy. <laughs> um, you know, something that is messy physically right now is my house. It's not the okay. cleanest, which I don't love um, because I operate my best at a clean-ish house. It's, you know, still a little bit organized chaos. There's piles, yeah. but I know what's in the pile. But something that's really messy right now, right now for me is this 
consistency of being in a positive headspace, I can put myself in a burnout situation, which I've done time and time again. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of get messy back into an old pattern of thinking, um, you know, kind of like a boohoo, woe is me thing. Mm-hmm. And that is something like I really want to change. We don't have to be like positive every day. Like some days are just a bad day, but like the consistency is something I want in my life. You know, it's so interesting. Me and my boyfriend were talking about this on the way home last night. Um, for We were talking about Formula One drivers because we're mm-hmm. both into F1 now, as, as is most of America with Drive to Survive and whatnot. And we were talking about Lewis Hamilton, who happens to be my favorite driver. Okay. And Hunter, my boyfriend, was like, well, do you know why he's the greatest? And I and I was like, no, I don't I don't really know why he's the greatest. We were talking about how another driver is the faster, another driver has the best car, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he consistently is the best, you know, or consistently mm-hmm. puts results. So it really put into my mind, it's like, well, if I can most of the time, not always but consistently be in a mm-hmm. grateful place. Maybe that would add a little bit level to my life. Just consist. And I felt that way in my acting too. I can have days where I am a stunning, stunning, amazing actor. And I have days where I'm like, they're like, how long are you been acting? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, and that's okay. That's going to happen. But like, just making yourself that 1% better. It doesn't have to be a hundred percent better in two days, but it's like, if, And people talk about this with working out. You know, if you work out for 10 minutes, 365 days a year, that's amazing. You don't, it versus like you worked out really hard for one week a year, like the consistency is, so that's something that's kind of a mess right now in my life is that I'm inconsistently consistent in a lot of areas. And it's like, I need to raise my level of consistency and and even self-care time or break time or, you know, whatnot. So just raising my consistency raising my consistency Mm -hmm. love it okay so where can people find you molly and shower you with love oh my gosh that's so sweet i the best place really to find me is the podcast because that's where i show up consistently every week (laughs) is tuesdays is the podcast so the podcast is confessions of a wannabe it girl you can find me on instagram confessions of a wannabe it girl or Marley Rose Fry Gang. Email is confessions of a wannabe at girl at gmail.com. And yeah, that's really where you can find me. And running around LA, probably eating a snack in my car. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure to have you on the podcast and just to really share your story. So we appreciate thank you. you. So, thank you so much for having me, Bianca. You're doing such a wonderful job with this podcast. You're in the zone. You're doing what you love and you're zoned in. You're so present. So thank you so much for making this space for people. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. I don't know about you, but I learned some new things. I'm always learning. Yes, always learning. And I actually love to learn. I don't know if I've shared this before, but on the Strength Finder or Strengths Finder by Gallup, one of my things is intellection and input. So I just soak up information. So I learned so much more about you know, Marley's own experience of anxiety and what it looked like. I learned about the numbing of the hands. Never knew that. 
and I hope really her story and her experience was very helpful and relatable for you, maybe personally, or maybe for somebody that you know. Remember, when you're listening to these stories, it's not just about what you're going through, but maybe someone you know is going through. So always look at it from that perspective as well. So takeaways, my biggest takeaway um, was that moment where Molly got really teary, where she talked about making a decision for herself. And what I took away from that is how powerful it is when we quiet down all the noise, we connect to ourselves, and we really think about what do we want, not what other people are going to think, what other people are doing, what is expected of us. And when we do this, the power that rises up in us and the voice that has been there all along starts to really build up. So I think that was such a powerful moment. And If you are someone who is looking for your voice, lost your voice, or even want to build your voice up, because it's always possible to keep growing, is that the importance of connecting to your inner self. The other one is we don't know everything and it's okay. She didn't know she was going through anxiety and it's okay, but she knew there was something but wasn't quite sure right? But people were there to surround her, to encourage her. And she made that decision again for herself. So sometimes we don't know until we know. And the last thing, man, the pressure, the pressure we put on ourselves to perform, right? We put all these expectations. I've been saying this word a lot lately, the pressure, the pressure to perform, the pressure of all the expectations, the pressure to do it all. And that pressure, right? And that fear of not wanting to be labeled was a thing that that she thought would break her, right? If I, if I get labeled, if I admit all these things. And so she kept going right? She kept going because of the pressure. She admitted it was internally, but also the pressure that may have been from the outside. And so really want you to think about the pressure that you're putting upon yourself. Is it necessary? And is it helpful? And if not, take a look at it. You might not have an answer for what to do, but I just want you to think about that. So those were my takeaways because it makes me think about my own pressure too, right? So those are the takeaways. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to the podcast. If you have not followed the podcast, please go ahead and just press the follow button wherever you are listening to the podcast in this moment and tell a friend there is someone that you know that needs to hear this, right? This is not just about you listening, but others too. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review so more people can listen to the podcast. Thank you so much. Were you inspired by this story? Here are some ways you can shower me and the podcast with your appreciation and support. Follow, rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Share the podcast via text with your people, with your tribe, subscribe to the newsletter where I share my personal stories of discovering the beauty within the mess. 
And lastly, follow me on Instagram at authenticallybu for tips and insights on overcoming perfectionism so you can embrace your imperfections and authentically be you. Thank you so much for listening to the It Didn't Break Me podcast and remember to discover the beauty within the mess.